0: Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Mixtape Podcast. Today I have very two uh, special guests with me and today we are going to be talking about something that we haven't really covered hardcore. So uh, today's subject is going to be very much focused on art and a very different and unique aspect of uh, art. Um, I have with me uh, Nicholas and Bharti who are co-creators of a very interesting exhibition by the name of Baage So welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Hi, thanks for having us.
0: So let's just, uh, you know, dig in and Baage And I think for the majority of my audience, which is uh, from the subcontinent area at the moment, uh, they might get some reference of what the term means. And so I'll just open it up to you guys to just share what it is. But before we dig into the exhibit specifically, I would like each of you to share a bit of your background of what you guys do, the sort of art you guys, you know, I don't know if practice is the right term for it, but yeah, just share a bit about
2: you yourself. Um, so I'll go first. Um, so I um, began my career thinking that I would be an artist. Um, And I was very young at the time and realized actually, I don't have a point of view to express. So I would make a very terrible artist. Um, And so I became an art critic and it, again, it was not something that I intended to be, Um, but yeah, between 2009 and around 2017, 2018, um, I wrote widely about Southeast Asian contemporary art, Um, a little bit of, I covered the practices of uh, artists in the Middle East, in um, even like the diaspora South Asian art, which I find very interesting and politically charged, uh, which is totally my wheelhouse. Uh, And then around 2018, I began experimenting in uh, the field of fragrance and flavor. Uh, And at the same time, I was also looking at these very beautiful collections of South Asian art in uh, museums such as the Met, the Smithsonian, uh, the British Museum, and not with any particular intention as such, just to sort of look at these works and just enjoy them visually and just take them in. Uh, so at, the, at that time, uh, this, this idea, right, these two confluences of fragrance, flavor, and art just came together. And so that that is the origin of our exhibition Bargay Hint. Nicholas? Um.
1: I am um, trained as, as a scholar. I have a PhD in South Asian studies. Um, I work primarily, uh, so I do primarily historical work um, using Persian and, and various registers of Hindi and Urdu and Sanskrit um, and my particular sort of research area for most of my, my you know, graduate school career and, and, and the subject of my PhD uh were gardens and garden writing so historically you know there's sort of this you know there's this these categories of the mughal garden and the islamic garden which have um you know which have to some degree been the subject of study although not nearly enough in my opinion um but usually from a from a sort of architectural history perspective i mean that's usually sort of the built you know, built remnants that that we still have, um, and those have been the subject of study. Sometimes, you know, the the work of some of the better art historians, uh, certainly drawing on contemporary, you know, imperial texts uh, to sort of make sense of them, but very much focused on the sort of built environment. Whereas my my interest has been sort of more on the the more ephemeral things that actually animate gardens that that happen in between that the actual, you know botany and practices of cultivation that go into actually making these spaces, um, you know, living spaces, the part that unfortunately very often is either missing now or has dramatically changed. And also the role that, you know, that these practices and these, these materials had in the intellectual and artistic culture of the time. So that, you know, that brought me eventually sort of from text um, to image because uh, the sort of counterpart, you know, to reading descriptions of gardens and reading historic or farming manuals and, and so on, um, was looking at the actual pictorial record of seeing what people chose to represent about gardens in, in you know, early modern South Asian painting, um, you know, the 17th, 18th, 16th, even the 17th, uh, 18th, particularly centuries, um, where, you know, gardens, Really are one of the central concerns of of um, what artists depicted, similar to to what I argue their their sort of central role in the in the general cultural imagination and intellectual life um, of at least the elites of the period. Um, they they sort of occupied.
0: Yeah, so that's pretty interesting because you know what you were mentioning about botany, you know, somehow mixing with your. Uh subject of interest. It's very interesting because usually people uh, sort of stereotype that, you know, sci- the scientific side of things and arts don't really, you know, interconnect. If you're into science, you're only into science, but if you're into art, you're into or totally into art. But that's, I always find this fascinating as uh, I got to talk to some of other art people as well who are sort of gelling the two fields together. So that's, I think that's very amazing and, you know, uh, the right thing, kind of thing to, you know, explore anything. You can't just do it in a binary fashion. Um, And speaking of gardens and speaking of the era that Bharti sort of touched upon, uh, I live in the city of Lahore, which is also known as city of gardens. And the main gardens from the Mughal era, we still have them, not obviously in that pristine condition, I am assuming, but obviously, you know, the Shalimar Gardens and all that, we we still have it. And we still associate uh, with that uh, sort of concept of leisure. Um, What you guys did with this exhibit was not, because usually when we talk about art or paintings or specifically historical art, It's mostly connected with, you know, what sort of paintings you get to see. Miniature art or sort of, you know, this, it's more visual. But you guys went into doing something that was touching upon other senses, uh, other other five senses, you know, uh, that you can can smell, you can touch. So how did that idea came about and how did you guys ended up collaborating on that?
2: Mm -hmm. I'll take this one. Yeah, I, I've been thinking a lot about how this happened. Why? Um, because now hindsight is twenty twenty, so you know I have a lot of time to introspect. Um, when I was researching fragrance and flavor, uh, a lot of these materials actually overlap between the two fields. So it's the same kind of um, extract that is used. Or even aroma chemicals, synthetic aroma chemical that is used for food flavoring and perfumery. So um, I looked at all of these paintings on the other hand and realized that I cannot identify the plants, the flowers, the, uh, the lush garden atmosphere. You know, so I wanted to translate these paintings, or actually. Yeah, I think translation is is a really good word here because um, it leaves a little bit of room to go a little, you know, a little less, a little more. Uh, It allowed me to um, experience the atmosphere embedded in these paintings. And I thought that is what perfume and flavor could do. You could eat the painting, listen to it or bathe with it. Um, And I thought maybe that kind of, those sort of modes of reimagining how we could experience and learn about history was something that hasn't been attempted before. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I came across uh, Nicholas's work in the summer of 2020. Um, and I thought it was fascinating that somebody, you know, not only reads these horticultural texts, but also uh, identifies the plants and then grows them. Um, it, so, in a sense, I thought. His practice was quite parallel to mine. Um, so while he has all of this gardening knowledge, I and plant knowledge actually, I have uh, the understanding of what these things smell like, but in extract form, in synthetic form. Um, so I had this idea for Bage Hind in 2018 uh, when I began my research almost instinctively. Um, and I just had to find the right type of historian <laughs> who would take these very, fantastical ideas uh, and anchor them to the context of 17th and 18th century. So it's a very specific period. Um, I I didn't want to just go about, you know, uh, searching for any random folio and just presenting any kind of perfume translation. I, I did not think that that would work. I did not think that that would be meaningful. And I wanted to do something bigger, holistic, um, So I interviewed him in about 2020, and uh, a year later I asked him if he w- wants to actually collaborate on this um, very small idea that I have,
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> which
2: has
1: just gro- grown from there. I
2: hook him and then reel him But <laughs> um, uh, that, that's how you know the partnership began oh. in June of last year.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the thing to me it wasn't actually. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an absolutely wonderful, wonderful idea, um, but to me it wasn't actually um, sort of outlandish in a way that I think under underpins the surprise of a lot of people we now present it to, um, because, uh, because it it in in a sense it seems to me quite logical to um, to interpret the paintings in this manner because and 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 this is you know sort of. Part of what i what i i really feel passionately uh, about about the project is that this this pleasure in material culture again this focus on the gardens on the activities in the gardens of the way people socially and intellectually related to them and on the other material objects that that went into those practices like you know incense burners food pre- perfume i mean sometimes there is perfume in addition to the fragrant flowers there's also depictions of perfume in the painting right um all of that, to my mind, is so obviously part of what the painting is intended to do, what was intentionally included to it and what would have been legible to these contemporary audiences again, which is why, you know, as, as party said, it's, there's there's a point to tying it to that particular historical period um, where we have this particular set of sort of evidence and knowledge, it's also the period I work on, so it's why I could be useful, <laughs> but, um, uh, but in a sense, it, it it it's quite logical to to explore the paintings through that lens because I think really, I think to their to their creators and to their their contemporary audience, that was part of how they worked. It was just that at least the elite kind of actors who they they who who uh, they were primarily circulating at had those references already. They knew those plans, they knew their literary associations, they you know, they used those, um um those uh like materials of consumption you know from the perfume to the pond to the incense etc that like this was part of their material world and this all had particular associations of you know of pleasure and leisure and wealth power and so on um and it was part of what made the painting legible and in in a way we the way we now academically tend to frame these paintings and say, we don't actually pay enough attention to that, to to the materiality, we're sort of very, tend to be very sort of caught up with, um, you know, networks of artists or artistic style or the power, questions of power, which sort of dominate academic, that's kind of like, what did this do for imperial ideology or courtly, you know, or smaller courts vis-a-vis the larger Mughal, quality and so on, which are all you know very valid questions. But what sort of get lo- gets lost in there is the the actual celebration of 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 pleasure and material experience that I think was a very big part of why these things were actually powerful.
0: <laughs> true, true. Uh, and uh, yeah, and I think any, anybody, I think varying degrees of obviously then they're the, they're the academics, they're the experts, and then the general public who just at times gets to see or enjoys these paintings. I think my also our a couple of my friends, and we also at times when we discuss that era of our history, it's always like, you know, or when you go and visit these historical sites in Lahore, which is the, in inside the walled city, you always say, you know, like the Shahi Hammam and everything, like they spend so much time and energy and concentration into, you know, yes, we are working, we are doing, but you know, this is what we are going to do for leisure and this is what we're going to do for relaxing, you know, things that we now think that we we are the ones who you know are doing the you know work and then we need our me times and everything they had it covered and in, in a more artistic and more grand way that we i think we can ever reach uh so moving on uh i would obviously uh because bharthi also mentioned you know that she picked those didn't just want to like go in and cover because it's a huge period there's whole all, all uh, you know varying stages and varying you know, eras of you know the kings and obviously uh the every king's power basically reflected in their architecture and everything that they did so you picked very specific areas so i would like you maybe you guys can elaborate on a bit more uh, in 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 depth as to why you picked those specific eras what attracted you specifically any you know personal favorites or whatever but before you do that i would also like that you guys for our audience sake because i have had a personalized curated tour with bharti so uh, maybe, uh, you know, for the audience, to s- just give them an overview of, uh, you know, what the exhibit is, where they can, you know, go and access it. And if somebody wants to have those, you know, uh, products that you make along with it for the, you know, the entire experience, how can they, you know, get those uh, as well?
1: Okay, so, well, um... the the exhibit, the virtual part, the visual, the very visual part of the exhibit uh, can be found online at Um, www.bargehin.com. And it's structured, uh, the main part of the exhibit is is structured in five sections around the five core paintings, corresponding um, also to five prime um, scent notes, uh, which are rose iris, uh, rose, narcissus, smoke iris and kara um and the core and those are you know that's a salient element of each painting but there are the that's sort of the core painting then each from there each painting uh is actually paired with a larger much larger cluster of paintings that contextualize it art historically um in terms of a a genre style which is something that was that was sort of very important to me to show how um, artistic creativity sort of worked in a, in a different but no less valuable way um, in, in pre-colonial South Asia, um, where paintings weren't necessarily unique in composition or in content. Like all, each of these paintings uh, actually represents a larger sort of genus of, um, or genre of, of paintings that share similar composition and or similar thematic content. Um, but often with very with very interesting variations. So, for example, in the smoke section, um, we have a a late Mughal as our core painting, we have a late Mughal scene of um of a noble and uh and a group of women on a terrace um watching fireworks and lighting sparklers, um uh and there's incense and smoke and sort of smoke wafting and, and so on. So you know, strong smoke um olfactory elements and then within the larger cluster there are multiple paintings that have essentially the same composition including one that is literally the same composition it's clearly based on the same basic design uh, but the 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 detailed style but it's from the the Rajput court of Kishangarh in Rajasthan um, and the the style of the figures is sort of slightly changed to reflect the specific, Style of the Kishangar Atelier, but more importantly, um, while the women are are pretty more or less the same, the figure of the noble with them has been replaced with um, with Radha and Krishna. So it's been in turn from a sort of sem- somewhat historical um, portrait scene to a to a Hindu devotional context, even though the composition is the same, right? So we try to sort of highlight those kind of things. Then there's a gallery of um, of actual photographs of the plants featured in the artwork and in the perfume um, to, to reflect, uh, you know, to give people that connection to the actual material reality to show, you know, that encoding of botanical information in the painting. Um, there is another gallery in each section of material objects from museum collections. Um, around so sort of around the world to to show again the the material culture encoded in the paintings and to connect the project to a sort of larger um, you know material culture and 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 to highlight what there is to be found in you know in, in museum and private collections that we don't normally get to see either similar to the paintings. Um, and then finally, there is a gallery illustrating Bardi's process of actually creating um, the of actually creating the the um the olfactory sort of responses, the translations. Uh, and our our notes are the, the transcripts of our notes from develop from developing the project uh, to really sort of make the process um, available and transparent and let people sort of see how 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 we got there. Um, so that's the gallery itself. Then we have a curatorial catalog, which we continue um, to add to, which right now has a wonderful essay by Part B. Soon it's going to get another one by me. Uh, and it has reading lists, both on gardens and, and the history of, of fragrance in South Asia and on contemporary um, perfume and flavor uh, practice with a lot of really interesting blogs and podcasts that, that Part D has curated. Um, and then there, we have an exit through the gift shop, which leads you to, you know, being able to actually buy the, the products that that reflect the project, if if you're so inclined.
2: Um, in fact, the, the gift shop is really um, a cheeky reference to um, a documentary by Banksy. And I still don't understand whether that was spoof or that it was actually made in sincerity. Uh, <laughs> I just like that so much. And- you know if we're going to be bold enough um, to just you know do a project like this and call it a museum show and it's our museum um we can have a gift shop uh, and it'll be better than any gift shop that I have actually seen on my various trips all over the world because you know they end up having keychains and pens and t-shirts and it's so disappointing that they it's as if the people in these who run these gift shops do not look at what is in the museum, <laughs> and there's such a disconnect. Um, so yeah, so there are synesthesia boxes um, that include the perfume and other synesthesia elements uh, like tea and incense, um, and also hand hand, hand blown um, you know, glass that has been crafted just for the show. Um, and you know what, people in India, I, you know what, I think I can shift to Pakistan too. I think I can. <laughs> it just has to go via Dubai. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
0: that, that's a different conversation we we we'll get into the <laughs> we'll but get into what, that. People
2: can, what people can do in the meantime is just book a tour with me through the shop. Um, And, you know, I'm just loving these responses that people are giving, you know, that they're like, oh, just before the tour, I'm going to light an incense or I'm going to wear perfume. Or, you know, like people doing small things, um, small, leisurely, pleasurable things that they are creating an atmosphere for themselves in order to enjoy the show, whether with me or just on their own. And it's, it's, I'm really touched by that. So getting a bit into,
0: you know, I know uh, we can call it uh, for lack of a better term, the technicalities of the show, like I want to like sort of dig deep into both your expertise. So maybe uh, Nicholas, if you can share you know how you ended up identifying the flowers, why, what obviously we see these pictures and as you already guys shared that you know, in those eras, gardens and flowers they were they were plenty and their depiction was there you know a lot of it so how did you choose specific uh, plants because when i went through the uh, the site and the tour uh, the curated tour you know there were very specific flowers that you know where, where you guys get into detail and highlight their significance so share a bit about that and then bharti maybe you can add into uh, the what you did uh for this you know all this, this, this these perfumes the soaps and textures that you created uh, how will just share the you know the, the creation process behind uh, behind that
1: um so my my selection process for for it was sort of a a a a, a, a dynamic back and forth of criteria um when when parties sort of asked me to to select the, the paintings that was already sort of driven by by the idea of okay what um, what floral elements or, or olfactory elements would be um, would be particular value particularly valuable to highlight so I started with uh, with the rose and so I, and I wanted paintings that really center those so that it's very clear um, that this was part of the intent that that the the flower uh, or or, or plant or in one case smoke element was something that the artist intended to be taken away from the painting Um, and you know and for these to be um to be elements that were uh that represented sort of a gamut of things so I started uh with a painting that really prominently features roses it's you know literally a king in a a g- rose garden, but it's really a plantation of roses. It's a field of roses that, at that scale, were almost certainly grown to be used to make rose water and, you know, cosmetics and food. Um, so, because rose, you know, is a is a flower that we're still reasonably familiar with generally, especially in South Asia. It's a um, and it's uh, it's an olfactant that we're reasonably familiar with. I mean, right? We we still use rose water a fair bit. We have um, a lot of Rose flavored products, not so much in the West, but in, you know, in South Asia. Um, so, you know, the point it was sort of an easier point of entry, right? It, it, the rose element is very clear there, but all rose is also an, an understandable botanical slash olfactant to, um, you know, to most audiences. Uh, the next one I picked uh, was Narcissus, um, you know, Nargis, which it's a little bit more niche because it's rarer nowadays. It has more complicated literary associations in in Persian Urdu literature that people tend to not be as familiar with anymore as they, you know, as roses, which sort of globally have this a, idea of like a you know luxury and romance. Um and it has a very distinctive smell, and that smell is divisive. It's historically celebrated in South Asia as being you know sweet and refreshing and 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 it's a mufare, uh, you know, an exhilarant. Um, it it opens the 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 breathing and the and the brain and and strengthens the heart. Um, whereas in a lot of Western cultures, um, people a aren't very familiar with it because these this type of narcissus, that's the typical kind that you get in the hills in India and and Pakistan, is less common. Um, but even where it does exist keep in 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 the US and a lot of Western Europe people actually don't like the smell uh it's it's considered a, a fairly it's too it's too it's it's too much of an of an animalic smell so um, it's often associated with animal urine like in the US people will say it smells like cat urine um, in uh, the the name for the for for those kind of narcissists in, in in Spain and Portugal, for example, actually translates to like fox piss or or donkey piss, because people associate that. Whereas, so it's a very culturally very conditioned association smell. I personally really like the smell. For me, it is a you know a sweet spring smell, and I and I and this idea of it being um, you know even though I might not necessarily describe subscribe to unani medicine, um, this sort of historic idea of it being a, a, a a sort of strengthening, invigorating smell. I, I I can very much see where that sort of comes from. Uh, it's sometimes positioned almost as an anti um, as an antidepressive in, in in early modern texts. Uh, so I wanted to, a painting, you know, that highlights the narcissus, and then a series of 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 the narcissus. And um, uh, so that's you know the the core flower that we highlighted there. Um, then we had smoke, which was actually uh, part of idea. Um, is our only sort of non botanical you know core element,, uh, but I think it works really, really beautiful and it is a um, and it is I mean we show we have one section where it where it's the primary note, but it actually sort of came about because it showed up as a as a minor element already in the rose painting because there's ash and 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 sort of campfires in that painting. Um, and then we have iris, uh, which that one is a sort of an interesting one. it's more complicated because uh it it arises sort of from the fact that irises are incredibly common flowers in Mughal art they were incredibly popular as a motif and i picked this garden painting and irises sort of feature prominently in in that painting um but with irises there's sort of a disjunction between them as a perfumery ingredient because the perfumery smell is actually made from the roots the the, the perfume ingredient that's made from irises is made from the roots and it Um, has much more of a a violet smell whereas the flower has uh, the flower smells of grapes (laughs) has this grapey smell (laughs) um so and in south asia and a lot of in in again in the cooler parts of the subcontinent you would actually get irises as garden flowers um as you know in the mughal period very much but um and still nowadays you know but um but in a lot of the subcontinent it you know, the flower was a popular um, v- motif of the visual arts, but the product people would have actually had access to would have been the the dried root as a perfumery ingredient and and medical ingredient. Um, so there's there's sort of an interesting complexity there. And then the final one <laughs> um, uh, is is Kira, uh, which in that one I you know in sort of a gradient from the rose being the most accessible. Um, to the Kara being the least accessible, that that was sort of a, a nice gradient there because Kara again is similar in a sense to the Rosen and Narcissus in that it is very a very common cultural reference in in early modern South Asia and it's very much associated in in Mughal and 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 um, and more more regional local texts with luxury um, and with and it's seen as very specifically Indian by you know especially when you have sort of uh, people writing in Persian who might be writing for a for a more Iranian audience and whatnot, they very much single, you know, single this out as something that's that's a distinctive perk of being in India. Um, and and it's very commonly included in depictions of gardens and, and landscapes. And yet it's not a plant people are by and large very familiar with today. The the plants kind of bizarre looking um, and big and you know, so not necessarily something people put in their, in their manicured front yard, front gardens, right? Um, although the one I ever found in Delhi was in a, in, in a very posh front yard. <laughs> um, and at the same time, and, and similarly, the smell has sort of disappeared somewhat from perfumery. You know, it's now, it's now sort of been relegated to being, uh, you know, a cooking ingredient and a tobacco flavoring, right? um so it sort of had a loss of status from like a very very luxurious um you know perfumery ingredient and the something a flower that you would actually buy the fresh flower just to enjoy the perfume um you know and and offer it to your guests to something you know that's a synthetic extract that you use in biryani um so again that that's sort of that historical change and and um uh was something that that You know that became part of what made it interesting. Um, After sort of wanting to include it because it has such historical relevance, then as we developed the product, we sort of saw that, you know, there's this historical shift in in its in its perception and in its place.
2: Um, And and I did everything I could to just exclude Gira, you know. Um, (laughs) <laughs> because I, I, I don't know, I found the this, this smell of kebra so repulsive um, and so cloying and sweet and strong and, you know, um it, like it took a lot for me to be persistent um and try to figure out exactly what was the cause of the, the issue. Because I haven't actually grown up in India, so I don't, I don't think I've actually Consumed Kevra essence and food flavoring? Uh, I don't I don't believe I have. Um, I don't think that I've been, I, I don't think I've encountered pan and gutka as much either. Uh, so then there was this kind of sense of revulsion and an, you know an instinctive knowing that this is cheap this is cheap material. This is like really like sasta, really like pedestrian um, kind of a material. So um, I dug a little deeper and figured out actually, you know, the the, uh, scent that I was exposed to uh, around 2018 during my research on materials was actually um, a synthetic material and synthetic Kevra perfume is used preferred. Uh, because uh, the natural extract is actually a skin irritant. So you apply it and you just get rashes or I do anyway. Uh, So I could understand why there's a mass produced synthetic version that, you know, people apparently use for um, anointing deities in their rituals. Uh, Again, this this is not a ritual that I have come across. So again, I have no intimate sense of the Kevra and yet I found it hideous. So the the actual um, Kevra extract, uh, the skin irritant is much more softer smelling, you know, I can like the the first time I smelled it, like seriously smelled it, paid attention to it, stayed with it for a few days. Um, I thought of it as milky, creamy, kind of like how mitai mitai tastes that the taste of mitai was the smell um and, and so i actually stuck i stuck with this particular element you know um it's you know and and of course it's always difficult to build it's a lot easier to just like scrap everything and say no no <laughs> you know i'm not uh, going to face this like really atrocious material, um, and so I also found it interesting that, I mean, this is the value of having a historian's perspective, right, um, to know that this was actually a, a luxurious botanical musk, considered superior to animal musk, uh, and in perfumery these days, you know, there's, a, there's a bit of a, you know, a cult, um, you know, that people actually try to buy musk pods, Legally, illegally, uh, from Russia, Siberia. It's it's kind of um, kind of weird. I mean, people have this kind of fixation about uh, animals well, You know, and there is um, excellent synthetic materials available. So I've you know in the process of putting together the paintings for um, the, the the painting to perfume translations for um, painting number one, two definitely, um, and five there is an extent of uh, animalic scent. Uh, in the case of Kevra, painting number five, there's also, you know, this Ragini figure sitting by this pond. Uh, so there are elements of um, civet, castorium, and also uh, synthetic materials that actually mimic the scent of seaweed. The ozone, the air, uh, slightly, you know, salty, but fresh, but melon-like, nuances. Um, so that, so that's how we went about translating these paintings. And, you know, I feel that people think about perfume as abstract and subjective, and to an extent it is. Uh, but actually, both Nicholas and I and our, you know, and our as our working notes will illustrate, um, people can audiences can actually see that we went about it in a very logical sense. So if he's telling me that there is you know, there's rose, there's poppies, there's larkspur, there's tobacco, there's jasmine, then I actually go looking for tobacco for jasmine. Uh, poppies, of course, there was a, another synthetic that kind of brought in this element of uh, narcotic powderiness, uh, which the historian is very specific about describing to me. Um, you know, no, I mean, that is exactly what I needed, right? So, you know, when he says poppies, and I'm like, well, poppies don't have any smell. Not that I've encountered them, but I, I know that they don't have um, a scent. Uh, and then he gets very specific. So even in the case of Narcissus, he said, um, you know, it has a spicy scent. Nargis has a spicy scent. And I said, well, which spice? Can you identify which specific spice? And he said, um, like saffron. So I thought, oh, okay, saffron extract. Um, so it's it's been a very it's an artistic process that also follows a certain logic yeah,
0: yeah.
1: so yeah and so- it's sort of oh, yeah. um, go,
2: go, go on
1: uh and that that uh that that part of it i think was sort of um you know it, it was it was good that we sort of agreed on, on on that and both were invested in um in in getting that right because one of um you know with much much less of a um you know, with no no real background, no training in the perfumery side of things, but with this sort of very intimate familiarity with the actual um with the actual living plants for most of these things. One of my one of my absolute pet peeves um are all of these sort of smell products that you get that you know scented candles, incense, potpourries, room diffusers, etc., that have these like almost arbitrary <laughs> random botanical names attached to them. It's like gardenia, you know, plumeria, fig, and that smell nothing like the plant. They all just smell like generic soap. But people don't know yeah, because people don't, most people haven't actually smelled the thing. And then, then they assume that that smell is the thing. Like it's happens with me, with, with, you know, friends and family where eventually I, you know, I actually, you know, I, 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 make I I make them face the actual plant I you know I shove the actual flower in their face and they're like oh is this jasmine I'm like no it's you know it's not jasmine it's it's gardenia or whatever and they're like oh but it doesn't smell like it like that's because all the things you have been told that are that are not that (laughs)
2: Um, you know what this is this actually reminds me why I took up why i thought fragrance and flavor so appealing and appealing as mediums of critique um it's because we're being shortchanged even on the olfactory front you know yeah um so i have smelled synthetic jasmine all along but when i say synthetic jasmine i mean you know jasmine presented as hair oil
1: yeah,
2: uh, mm-hmm. or presented as a body lotion and then finding the actual extract smelling it finding ways to you know even taste it um, I couldn't believe how the, the, the distance between what is being sold to us mass produced and sold and the actual flower the actual element the actual extract is so much Richer and layered and textured, and it it the notes are so complex. And I can kind of understand why these mass-produced synthetics cannot or don't bother to replicate those compounds exactly. Um, And you know what? The most difficult painting to translate was painting number four, which is a garden scene. Um, And we had some difficulty in translating that, because again, we're communicating with words. Um, It's not cheap to ship him uh, a few samples every now and then. So we had to be really um, careful or or find inventive ways to communicate about the smells. Okay, so if, you know, iris, I have never come across an iris flower, so I don't even know. So, you know, now he's telling me it smells close to grapes. (laughs) I didn't know that.
1: I think I've mentioned that about some point, but it's also like it's not it's it's again sort of culturally constructed, right? That if you ask someone in in I should I should preface this, if you ask someone in North America that to smell an iris and ask them what they what what it smells like, they will most likely tell you it smells like grape. If you took someone hmm. who spends all their time in South Asia or even in some parts of Europe and asked them to smell the iris, they probably wouldn't make the connection to grape because it does smell like grape, but it doesn't smell like the grapes you tend, you mostly get in in Europe and in India. It smells like a particular type of grape that you get get a lot in North America. And more importantly, all the fake grape flavoring here is based on that variety of grape. so because of that Americans have that because Americans have you know consumed grape flavored candy and like you know etc their whole lives they have the association that that particular flavor which is really just the flavor of a particular type of grape that is grape flavor and <laughs> the and they connect the iris smell to that but someone who doesn't have that framing wouldn't wouldn't identify that smell as grape it I don't know what they would yeah. sort of see it as
0: so, the most interesting part in, in this conversation that, you know, to me as a layperson in, from this field is, you know, what how you guys have explained as to, you know, smell or touch, one might assume that this is, you know, these are not, arbit- like, these are not, like, they don't have context. Smell is smell, touch is touch. But the way he's he's explaining that how, you know, flowers have variation, yes, slight variations, but they can't be this separate but apparently they are. So yeah, this is this is very interesting. And so yeah, as uh, you guys were mentioning, it is an artistic process. But what I feel is the way you guys have went about it, it has a also a scientific or, you know, a method, uh, methodological uh, sort of context to it. So it's sort of also, you know, bringing those two uh, aspects of it uh, in line as well. So um, this is, uh, I don't know if it's a typical or an interesting question that you guys might have come across previously as well. It's something similar to what I think authors get asked, or you know, a musician would get asked. You know, what's your favorite from the work? So I would ask that from because you guys have like these various, uh, you know, sections and specific paintings that you have divided this uh, Bagheen exhibit into. Which section, specific section, is your favorite, each of you? And maybe if you guys want to share some. Uh, a, I don't know, behind the scene, fun aspect of, as you shared, you know, you guys, have, there are dialogues on the website between the two of you, but any specific thing for you when you were maybe identifying a flower and you realized that this is something that, uh, you came across for the first time or for you Bharti, when you were like making the, you know, the perfumes or any of the extracts, some interesting, uh, thing that you came across that, you know, a light bulb moment, uh, uh, during the you know yeah. preparation for this uh, exhibit, if you guys want to share that,
2: um, yeah. So um, with, you know, with me living and and working in India, my issue is often access to um, a lot of materials. So uh, while I'm aware of what sort of materials are out there, I don't necessarily have access to them in the sense that I just have to order them blind, mm-hmm. right? So they arrive, uh, and, and then I figure it out. You know, I smell each one. Uh, And when I usually receive materials, what I'm doing is that I'm keeping a few uh, in in different families aside and I test them every day. I smell them every day. And I kind of like do this exercise where I'm familiarizing myself with each um, note, especially the synthetic. Aroma, chemical notes that have chemical names that I can't even pronounce you know so that by the time that I'm actually making the perfume I can think okay fine that that butyl acetate whatever that is I know I know that is the note that will lend me uh, this kind of slightly overripe fruit scent like slightly fermented note um, and um, I, I so one of <laughs> One of this this um, parcel that arrived was a really sweet uh, gesture by a, a perfumer in the U.S. who just sent me materials um, so that I could you know just play around with them. And one of those materials was narcissus, uh, and it's an extract that is only made in France. Uh, you you can't actually get it from anywhere. So it was a really like I understood I understood how precious and rare that that particular. Mm-hmm. Um, set of materials that he sent me was they're very expensive these these um, raw materials Uh, like this is really not something that one can do as a hobby really it's 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 too costly Um, so the Narcissus bottle like you know like an idiot I just opened it and smelled it without without realizing that you don't actually do these things with um, Lotus extract with narcissus extract, and so I got a bit high for a few seconds. I couldn't quite function, and I think I was—I don't even remember how the rest of that day went. So, um, I, I checked with another perfumer who said, Bharti we don't—we we smell these in dilutions. We avoid smelling them altogether." <laughs> but, but even that experience, right? Like even that stupidity on my part, when I'm just like opening the bottle and just taking a very deep. Inhalation of this Gosh. very potent material. <laughs> um, it helped me understand painting number two, right? Which is like, why are these men choosing uh, the narcissus at at evening? You know, in the evening time, at night. Uh, why this particular flower? What, what are they? They they're smelling it. But why? Why not any other flower? Why the narcissus in particular? And so I kind of I get it, but I'll let Nicholas say more about the, the significance of that particular flower in this kind of you know
1: code uh, culture. <laughs> um, so the narcissus actually um, from a from a painting and like complexity perspective, that actually is my favorite section as well. Uh, from in terms of like wearing the perfume perspective, um, the garden scene with the iris. Uh, Ended up being my favorite, um, but speaking of narcissus, so I've, I've sort of mentioned narcissus has all these these cultural associations um, that that play into the way it appears in the artwork. Um, the primary one of which is the sort of symbolic role that it plays in uh, in Persian and Persian and then Urdu poetry, uh, which is that because the flower kind of looks like an eye because it's a white you know rim of outer petals and then a yellow cup in the middle. Uh, poetic tradition, like an and eye, and specifically a, uh, a languid or jaundiced eye, which are all linked to sort of being lovesick, right? So because of that, um, poets tend to sort of endlessly play on uh, on the narcissism and ideas of vision, sight, glances, but then also obviously the inverse blindness, um, and so on. So there's always a connotation with with seeing or not seeing um glances with coquetry on when the um when the narcissist is involved um and then the second the second layer of sort of symbolism which is a bit less less ubiquitous but also comes on often is the fact that it's fragrant and it's cup-shaped so it's actually there's actually a lot of a lot of poetry also that that specifically links the narcissus to fragrance, right? That it actually—it's like, oh, the narcissus because it has the stalk, and then it has multiple flowers in that stalk that have this cup shape and are fragrant. The narcissus is actually um, a a servant girl standing in the garden, you know, holding, waiting, holding a a platter with perfume. Um, so there's all of those those sort of associations, and then there's this sort of um, you know humoral medicine idea of the fragrance as a an exhilarant as an antidepressant as something that um, that will invigorate your um, your sort of you physiologically and psychologically, um, and I think with this sort of core painting uh, that we that that we selected for that section, all of those elements I think are alluded to because you have these two aristocratic young men sitting on a terrace in the evening. There's also a little bowl of jasmine flowers in front of them. So there's other smell references, but both of them are holding this very beautifully rendered, very realistically rendered uh, sprig of Narcissi and are, are sniffing them. Um, and I think all of those layers of meaning are implicit there, right? Like they're obviously holding them and sniffing them because they are fragrant. And then the implication is that, you know, they're sort of expanding their mind and relaxing and, and becoming more aware, okay. getting high, so to speak. Uh, becoming more aware, obviously, though, is also linked to 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 vision and to glances. And you know, they're you know they're sort of um, like looking at each other with these sort of gentle smiles. So there's also this idea of, of the of the of the glance, right, and or of, of the male gaze in this case, direct between two males. Um, that that plays into that. Um, And it's all, you know, and and none of that is, you know, none of that is really readily is is readily apparent. um, If you just look at the piece and you you can't if you can't identify the flower, none of that is there. If you can, if you do see the flower and you're like, oh, that's a that's a narcissus, that's a narcissus, but you don't know that it has all of these, you know, would have had all these valences to an educated audience uh, at the time. Um, then again, you know the the actual meaning of the painting or or the the emotional impact of the painting is not there.
2: Uh, Nicholas, I have a question for you. Um, is
1: mm-hmm.
2: has anyone written on this uh, particular painting before, or are we the first to present this painting with this kind of context?
1: Not not that I um, not that I've been able to find. I haven't. I mean, it's in the Boston Museum of Fine Arts collection, and it's you know in their as as you know, it's it's on their website in their in their digitally accessible collections. so they it it has uh, the basic information of like rough dating and and uh, provenance. Um, but there's no no um they don't have any sort of analytical text on it, no description of of what any of it means. And I have not. Doesn't mean that it couldn't be somewhere in a catalog or or uh, or in some sort of thematic um, art historical study, but I have not come across it reproduced or discussed anywhere.
0: Yeah. So again, I'm like very interested in the aspects of you know the the Mughal. I'm like rethinking of how you know the sort of art, whatever little art we are exposed to from that era. How do you know now perceive it? It's it's pretty interesting and pretty eye opening. The work that you guys have done. So, um, uh, before we, I go in and ask you guys that what other things you guys are venturing into or doing. Uh, for, is there a timestamp? Because I think when we interacted for the first time, there was a timestamp to to this exhibit. But then you said that you guys have planned to extend it and keep the digital format. So now, is it just going to be out there, or is is there an
2: uh, an extended timeline to it? Um, So um, when I uh, uh, approached uh, Nicholas with this idea to do an exhibition, I thought, you know what, it's an online exhibition and like a physical exhibition, it could be on for a year and then we could take it all down. It's just that once I did all this work about, you know, building the site and putting it all together. Well, one, it looked really beautiful. And uh, two, I didn't want to take it down anymore. You know? <laughs> um, so now it, it stays up as, um, as an archive, as a multi-sensory exhibition, that's also an archive that we will actually expand on. So um, I think I'll design a separate page uh, within the exhibition itself, uh, so audiences can learn about our projects as we kind of bring this uh, exhibition out into the physical space.
0: Yeah, because I think um, it should stay there at least, what in whatever form and whatever, even if you run out of the physical things to you know uh, send out. Uh, I think the even the visuals are pretty interesting, and you know the uh, the conversations that you guys have put out there, it's it's pretty amazing uh so moving on uh, before we wrap up what else are you guys up to what are your future plans any other projects that people need to you know look out individually collectively whatever
1: well um we are we are working as, as marty mentioned we're working on um bringing this project uh into the physical world uh hopefully in in a series of of um you know, smaller exhibitions of elements of it um, in various spaces, um, also, and and hopefully also as sort of a tie-in to other um, to other museum shows that that use some of the same, um, you know, that reflect on some of the same artwork that exhibit some of the same artwork. So we're hoping uh, to to sort of have tie-ins there to bring perhaps um, some of the sort of sent creations uh, to those spaces and to to continue um, continue to sort of build further creative, interactive ways um, of you know of letting people actually ma- experience the materiality um, of it.
2: Um, well, my research into fragrance continues as it does, but I'm also working on um, soap as architecture or the experience of architecture as SOAP. So, so <laughs> there's, a, there's a whole project that I'm developing with someone else where we're looking at all of these stepwell forms. So, you know, finding a way to present these, um, you know, um, how did, like this this question that actually like began with Baagehin and I now just go into different directions with it. Uh, we're really exploring how we can experience architecture and history and material culture uh, in different forms that are very um, fun and playful and accessible to the public. So um, I'm also writing uh, a piece um, uh, about scholarship as soap because I've been doing this you know, insane thing about translating. Well, I started by translating my own mind and practice and art experiences into soap. And I thought, yeah, this, this is exactly me you know um, you know, in color, in form, um, and you know this this idea of having this uh, form in your hand and, and the color running down your skin. Um, so I've you know done a few translations. There's um, an essay on the color yellow that I translated for its author. Uh, and I was very uh, tickled by the idea that she would have this like really like dense sulfuric yellow color that she wrote about, and it is now in the form of soap. Uh, and I made one for Nicholas as well, which he has to use, God knows whether he'll use it or not. He does not like to use my soaps because they are so beautiful, and he will I, not I,
1: use I, I, I was just going to say, this is a problem that she repeatedly faces, not just with me, because she creates these soaps and they are so stunningly architectural that you really just want to like put them on a pedestal and admire them, um, and it, it's like, and, but she really wants you to use them and they are also you know beautifully fragrant um but it really it feels like such a desecration to you know to partition them and 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 actually start using them as soap. but the first one she sent me i have used up. so yeah and I, there I, you go you, I got you have proof
0: myself. you have proof on video that no, you used them you
2: know yeah that that really irritates me because it was like two months have you used the soap have you used the soap He had not used it, and finally, I had to just bully him into using it. And I asked him for proof to show me a picture. Uh, And you know, honestly, I had to say that you know what, I need, I need your response for it for the website. So I had to trick him into using the soap.
1: She's she's also a fairly inconsequent bully, though, because she then immediately proceeded to send me more soaps. Um, so she was I like fine i made i made you use it but now i'm going to send you more so <laughs> you don't feel bad i, think,
2: I feel like that you know so these objects are made and then the experience is the other side of that artwork yeah. right so you have yeah. to um use them smell them imbibe them right like how how are we talking about you know, in, in what sense are we talking about eating a painting or drinking, drinking a garden um, or you know, inhaling the poetry? And, and so people have to actually experience the, the luxury that this kind of opulent world um, gives us a window into. Um, I made a soap that translated uh, Sylvia Hootling's uh, essay on Mughal textiles, textiles gar- um, embroidery, um, carpets, um, you know, the, the mull uh, on their fab you know the, the, the mull that they're wearing on their body, uh, and, and the smell of it, how it's made, it smells, it origi- its origins and its use. Um, and this, I was so fascinated with this idea of such fine luxury that we don't have access to anymore. Yeah. And, and what if I could just take this writing on it and translate it? into scent and soap, right? So you actually inhale, imbibe this history of textiles, but through scent. So the scent has um, notes of um, civet, um, cashmere. Uh, So you know that the smell of pashmina that kind of has this kind of mothball or cedarwood note. really kind of captures that and I, you know, I want the author to experience um, their education, but in a different form, in a more enjoyable, playful form. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, this new, uh, this translation of art is something that's unique and I hope that it grows and sort of it helps, you know, sort of maybe if if I'm using the right term here, it's like democrat you know, making it more open for, you know, the general public to this access to art, which has always been seen as, you know, something that art is supposed to be just for the high end, a specific, you know, a people for socio socioeconomic uh, category. But I think everywhere now, it's being used as a form of expression, as a form of, you know, and we are seeing so much innovation in art from all over the world that I think Uh, This is very interesting and one of the, you know, the positives that's coming out of this uh, global village that we live in. Uh, Thank you so much for your time. This was such an interesting conversation. Uh, I hope to follow your work uh, and hopefully have you back with whatever you guys end up doing. Um, And hopefully you get uh, more and more people get to see uh, your exhibition and these translations. Thank you, Fatima.
2: Thank you so much. We invite the audience to take pleasure in our, in our garden. So um, thank yeah. you so much for giving us space and time. See you thank next you. time. <laughs>